0: I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. It tells us about Jesus going to his own hometown of Nazareth. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This is telling us about the first time Jesus returned to his own hometown of Nazareth after he had been baptized by John in uh, in the Jordan River. You remember that the uh, account, the eyewitness account of his baptism was that the Holy Ghost descended upon him in, in bodily shape, bodily form. Something similar to a dove or a bird that would fly out of the sky. It landed on Jesus and that Spirit of God remained. There are a number of things that, over the last several years that uh, that the Lord has opened my eyes to and, and enabled me to see. Things that were in the Word all the time. I just didn't see them. But I think it's important for us to distinguish between Jesus, the Son of God, and Jesus, the miracle worker. Now, I don't mean to... to refer to that in such a way uh, to bring discredit or to act like both are not equally important and both were in operation operation at the same time but a lot of the church world seems to believe from, uh, from their teaching, from their doctrine and so forth, a lot of the church world seems to believe that Jesus healed the sick and performed miracles to prove that he was the son of God well when did he start being the son of God? Was he just the son of God after he was baptized by John in the Jordan River? Or was he the son of God from the time that he was born into the world? Now the Bible says, and I want you to see this with me. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. Paul said, For if or since by one man's offense death reigned by one. He's talking about Adam's sin, the original sin. If by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now folks, you tell me, am I misinterpreting this to preach from this verse of Scripture that there's a place in righteousness that if we take hold of, it's got to be something more than just being born again. If being born again was the key and the criteria, the only criteria to ruling and reigning in life, then the church would be a lot more powerful in demonstration of the things of God in this present day than we are. So when he talks about receiving the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, he's got to be talking about at least uh, talking about understanding what we have, not just being born again. We referred this morning to the uh, uh, 8th chapter of John, verses 31 and 32. Jesus makes a distinction between believers and the disciples. It reads something like this. And Jesus said unto those Jews that believed on him. They believed him. They believed he was the Messiah. They believed he was the sent one from God. If you continue in my word. He's talking to the believers. If you continue in my word. Then are you my disciples indeed. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Well a lot of the church world didn't free. Or maybe we should say it this way. The freedom that they have. Available to them. Is not taken advantage of. Now, the reason why is pretty simple. Could only be a couple of things. One is they don't know, or another is they don't believe. There's a lot of the church world that says that things that Jesus died for don't really belong to us. In spite of the scriptures that say that Jesus took stripes on his back, and with those stripes we were healed. A lot of churches, you know this as well as I do, a lot of churches say that doesn't talk, that's not talking about physical healing or healing for the physical body. So some people just don't know, but other people outright reject it. Well, there's no way that we can take full advantage. Notice the way I said that. Take full advantage of the gift of righteousness unless we apply it to everything, every area that Jesus paid a price for. But on the other hand, can we not say that from from Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, there's a lot of other scriptures we could use to, to add to it. But could we not say that God's intent is for every believer to rule and reign over the works of the devil in this earth now? That's got to be what he's talking about. You can't reign in life unless you have authority over sickness and disease. You can't reign in life unless you have authority over the the works of the devil or the devil himself. Those things would have to be the minimum of what would be provided for us if we're going to rule and reign in life. Well, that belongs to those of us that have entered into the righteousness of God. In other words, accepted what Jesus did and the price that he paid. Claimed him through faith to be our Lord and Savior. And have entered into the family of God. But what about Jesus? Jesus didn't have righteousness conferred on him when he was here on the earth. He was born as close as we can imagine to the way that Adam was on the earth before the fall he didn't have a body that was tainted by sin that's why the virgin birth was so important the only way God could bypass sin and death taking hold of Jesus or him being subject to the law of sin and death as the Bible describes it is to bypass the father's contribution to the pregnancy so the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and she conceived and Jesus was born into the earth a righteous man righteous because sin had no place in him Sin never did have a place in him. He never sinned. But if Jesus was righteous, fully righteous, then that means, and he was, thank God he was, then that means he never succumbed to the work of the enemy, even in the smallest or slightest way. That means Jesus never could have had a, a, a common cold. Jesus never could have had the sniffles. Jesus could never have had any trace of any symptom of a sickness and disease remain on him. Now the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points as we are. So from that we would have to conclude that the devil tempted him and brought these things to him. Just like he brings them to us. But Jesus not only never sinned. He never yielded to the temptation to sin. He never yielded to the temptation to take hold of what the devil brought to him. In his body or in his mind or anywhere else well then why did Jesus not do miracles before he was baptized by John in the Jordan River folks the point I'm trying to get to and I'm sorry if it seems difficult to get around there but it's so far into what most of us have thought and been taught for years and years and years Jesus when he was tempted of the devil in Matthew chapter 4 he knows how to deal with the devil he quotes the word well when did he learn that did he just learn that in the wilderness? Did Jesus just learn to avoid the temptation of the devil or resist the devil when he got into the wilderness? Or did he know that all of his life? Well, the word of God certainly tells us the importance of the word. Those scriptures Jesus would have had to be aware of. I believe he's known those things all of his life. And because he was righteous because he was the son of God he's used his authority he's exercised his authority the way that the Bible tells us that God exercised his authority in the creation God spoke and it it came into being now do we have any way to back that up do we have any proof or any evidence that would confirm or corroborate that story well you remember in John chapter 2 when Jesus performed his first miracle, he turned the water into wine. You remember the story without us having to go there and look at it? Jesus' mother, this had to have been a relative's uh, wedding ceremony for Jesus' mother, according to the custom of the day, for Jesus' mother to have a place of, of authority in the, uh, in, in the goings on, the, the workings of the, sem- uh, the ceremony. She came to Jesus and said, we're out of wine. And Jesus said, what is that to me? What do I have to do with that? She seems to be pushing him towards something that Jesus wasn't yet sure it was time to begin. Well, she takes that mild rebuke and turns to the servants, and what does she say? She says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Folks, if, she, if Mary, Jesus' mother, has not been exposed to Jesus using his words to exercise authority in the first 30 years of his life in whatever way that might be, certainly to resist temptation of sin, certainly to resist the temptation to take hold of sickness or to accept sickness, which is the work of the devil. If he has not been using his words, why in the world would his mother make such a big deal to people, servants, at the wedding in Cana? To identify his words and the importance of his words. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Folks, I believe that because Jesus knew even what the Old Testament teaches us about the words that we speak. Remember the unchanging law God told the children of Israel in Numbers chapter 14 when they refused to go into the promised land because of what the uh, 10 of the 12 spies came back with, the report, the evil report, the report of doubt that they came back with. You remember that God said concerning them, he said, Moses, tell them this, as truly as I live, I will do unto them even as they've spoken in my ears. Well, that phrase, as truly as I live, means it's an eternal and unchanging principle of God. Would Jesus not have known that in his early days, his early life? Would Jesus not have known that by the time he gets to be 12 years old and he's sitting with the the high priest and the rabbis after he's missed the caravan going back home. He's in the temple asking them questions that they don't have answers to and answering their questions in such a manner that they were astonished. Well folks if Jesus didn't know something about his heavenly father and he identifies when his parents finally find him they're distraught and say why did you do this to us? You can imagine what we would be thinking If our kids were left behind for three days, we'd be frantic. We'd have called in every police department everywhere trying to get the people on the lookout for him. We'd have put posters up, missing child. Jesus responds to his parents, how is it that you didn't know where I would be? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? At age 12, Jesus understands his purpose. Well, if he understands his purpose, then he has to understand the truth of the word. He has to understand the, the, the uh, magnitude of the principle, the unchanging principle, that we're governed by our words and that God deals with us according to the things that we speak. This must have made such an impression on Mary that she turns to the servants, as we've referred to already, and she said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. In other words, listen to his words. Listen to his words. Well, then Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. And the Spirit of God comes upon him. He tells the people in Nazareth. It's not the first place that he went after he was endued with power from on high. But after he returns from the wilderness experience. Luke 4.14 says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. Apparently he went to Capernaum. Apparently, uh, Capernaum was the first place that he went to. And then shortly thereafter, he went to Nazareth. And the people in Nazareth rejected him. Mark's account in chapter 6 says in verse 5, And he could there do no mighty work. doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. He could there do no mighty work, save he laid his hands upon a few sickly folks, folks with minor ailments, and got them healed. And it says, He marveled at their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. He tried to counteract that by going around their cities and villages teaching the word of God. And do you remember the teaching that he brought to them? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 7? Let's look there real quick. Matthew chapter 7 where it tells us that the people were astonished at his doctrine Let me get it here. Verse 28, it says, It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, most of the time we read this as saying uh, to, to, that it's communicating to us that Jesus was the one with authority. But this verse of Scripture is a little blind to us. If we go back to the original Greek, notice it says the phrase as one having authority. This phrase literally means how to hold. They were astonished at his doctrine. If Jesus was doing the miracles, then they were astonished at him. We would understand that certainly, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say they were astonished at Jesus. It says they were astonished at his doctrine. Doctrine is just teaching. They were amazed at the teaching. Now, what would amaze them about the teaching? Well, it says because he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. He taught them that man has authority here on the earth. He taught them that man has authority on the earth. Now, folks, now, let me ask you something. How many people in this setting that Jesus is teaching to, how many of them are righteous? None. Not a one. But Jesus is teaching them that God's original plan, which has never changed, never will change until the end of the church age. God's original plan was to give man authority over all the works of his hand. Genesis 126 shows us that clearly. And God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the earth. Well, dominion is authority, isn't it? Let them have dominion over the earth and over all the work of our hands. If if that was God's original plan for man, it's his present day plan for man. It'll always be his plan for man because he can't change. So here Jesus is teaching them how to hold authority. He's teaching them the importance of their words. He's teaching them that it's through the words spoken from their mouths because they believe something in their heart. That's where the power comes to change things. Why, if Jesus was righteous for all every day that he spent here on the earth, why did he not heal anybody until after the Spirit of God came on him in the Jordan River? We would certainly have to say that Jesus, by this righteousness, by the righteousness that he was born of God by, he had the opportunity to rule and reign in this life, like Romans 5.17 says, that we can now that we're born again. There may have been some supernatural things that took place. I have to assume that there were because of what Mary said at the wedding in Cana. I have to assume that there were some supernatural things that took place as a result of Jesus' words before anybody knew who he was except her. She certainly knew who he was. She knew the virgin birth and the pregnancy that that, uh, brought Jesus into the world She knew how spectacular and miraculous that was. Even if nobody else did. I choose to believe that Joseph accepted it and believed it because of the things that God had said to it. But if she's the only one on the planet that knows, she knows. So then why didn't the Son of God heal anybody before the Holy Ghost came upon him? Why didn't he do any miracles Why didn't he multiply the loaves and fishes? Now folks, here's something that will blow your mind. It's entirely possible that he multiplied food in his own home. If there was a need for that, here he is, the son of God. Righteous man operating on the earth. It's very possible that something like that happened. It's very possible that there were several things like that that happened throughout Jesus' upbringing. Maybe that's the reason why Mary is so intent on the servants obeying his words. It implies to me, you judge it for yourself, but it implies to me that she's used to seeing things happen because of what he says. Otherwise, why direct the servants to listen to him? Folks, when the Bible tells us that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River... We know what happened. Jesus tells us himself in Luke chapter 4. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. Most people see that word brokenhearted and they think that it means emotions. That's not what the word brokenhearted means. In Scripture, the word brokenhearted means a breach in spirit, a break or a breach in spirit. And that's what happened when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. The spiritual realm for mankind, in one sense, was broken. There was a tear in the fabric of God's perfect creation here on the earth. And through it, the Bible says death, sin, and death took hold. Sickness came on the scene. Sickness had a right and a place in this earth for the first time ever. Why was it important for Jesus to be anointed? Because no matter what his righteousness provided for him. No matter what supernatural things. Maybe even spectacular things that had happened in his upbringing. Things that Mary has hidden in her heart. And is thinking about when she tells the servants to obey his words. Regardless of any and all of those things. If Jesus is going to be able to help somebody else other than himself. He has to be anointed to do it. John said, John the Baptist said about Jesus in John chapter 3 and verse 34, he said, God gave the Spirit without measure to Jesus. He gave Jesus the Spirit of God without measure. Well, that would have to be an anointing for everybody then. That would have to be an anointing upon him over all sickness and all disease for the benefit of somebody else. He's been using his righteousness, and even as the Bible says of us, We have an anointing within us that teaches us all things. Well, Jesus would have had that too, wouldn't he? And regardless of the anointing that he had for his home and his personal life, it took the anointing of the Holy Ghost, a different anointing, a special anointing from the Holy Ghost to enable him to help others, to enable him to minister the healing power of God to other people. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. Jesus, it says of Jesus, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Let me ask you something, folks. What did that anointing feel like? Did it feel like anything? Was there any feeling to it whatsoever? We don't have any record anywhere that when an anointing came on somebody to minister to others, they felt it. In fact, it's very few times that the Bible tells us that Jesus felt the anointing. woman with issue of blood is an example. When she came in the press behind and touched Jesus' garment, Jesus felt power go out of him. She felt power go into her. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague, that issue of blood that she's had for 12 years. But folks, the anointing couldn't have had any more feeling for the disciples than it would have for us. If it weren't so, then the disciples would have always known that they had the power. They wouldn't have wondered why it didn't work for them in uh, Mark chapter 9 when the father brought his son to them and Jesus wasn't there. They were used to casting out devils. They were used to healing the sick. It tells us that they returned. Let's read a little bit further in Luke chapter 9. Jesus gives them instruction about their journey. Verse 6 tells us the result. They departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Well, that's what he gave them. He gave them authority over all sickness and all disease. So they go and healing everywhere. They're healing every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. Look with me to Luke chapter 10. Verse 1, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. He gives them instruction. Skip down a little bit for the sake of time. Verse 9, he says, Along with the other instruction, if people will receive you, he says, Heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Now when they return, Beginning in verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan, as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power, literally authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power. This second word power means ability. So he says, I give you authority over all the ability of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Folks, if that anointing could be felt. Then the church would be doing a lot more works of Jesus. The same things that he did, and even greater things than what we are doing. Now, God was faithful, he is faithful. Now that Jesus has gone off the scene, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. The Bible gives us some information and some insight into what belongs to us. In other words, who's anointed? And he says some things in James chapter 5, again, why don't you turn there with me, rather than just quote some of these things, and we all know them pretty well, but let's make sure that we get the full import of what he's saying. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, he says, is any sick among you? The implication is there shouldn't be any sick among the church. The implication is there shouldn't be any sick among the people of God. But he says is any sick among you let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with all in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and if he has committed sins they shall be forgiven him. What is this? This is God by the Holy Ghost through James letters to the church identifying that every church is anointed to heal the sick. Every church every pastor, every ministry staff that's what would correspond to the elders that James talks about every church staff is anointed to heal the sick now worldwide how many do you think are how many churches, how many church staffs operate on that Okay, let's go a little further why don't they operate on that because they can't feel it see folks if we could feel the anointing If the commission that the Bible gives to us could be felt, then you wouldn't have to talk anybody into, nobody would ever have to be talked into laying hands on the sick. They would know something's at work. They would know that there's a feeling that they have. Now, the church isn't the only one that's anointed. God gives special anointings to certain people. Some of you may remember Brother Hagin's story about how Jesus appeared to him in a vision and laid the finger of his right hand in the palms of both of Brother Hagin's hands. And he said that when he did that, when Jesus did that, his hands began to burn like he was holding a coal of fire. Well, that anointing, that was evidence of that anointing for him. But nobody else could feel that anointing, the anointing that God gave him. It was something that he felt. But in order to make it work, do you remember Brother Hagin describing what he had to do? Jesus told him, Tell the people I appeared unto you. Tell them that I laid the finger of my right hand in the palms of both of your hands. Tell them that you have a special anointing. And then he said if they'll believe that, if they'll accept that I appeared to you and believe that, that anointing will work to cure their, uh, their bodies from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Now folks, that sounds a lot like what, John, what uh, Luke tells us that Jesus said, in Luke chapter 4, when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. He's trying to build faith in the people. He's trying to build faith in the hearts of the people. Now, it didn't work in Nazareth. As we said, in Nazareth, he could there do no mighty work, according to Mark 6 5, except he laid his hands upon a few sickly folks, a few folks with minor ailments. But he didn't have any blind eyes open. He didn't have any lepers cleansed. He didn't have any crippled people that, uh, healed in Nazareth because they wouldn't believe him. So even though he's anointed, and Jesus was anointed with the Spirit without measure, the absolute fullness of the power of God was in and on Jesus. He took of that power to to, uh, vest in the 12 disciples, and the result was that they healed the sick too. He vested some of that power, that authority, that anointing in the 70, and they came back, and really, if you read what the instructions he gave them, there never was anything said by Jesus to them about casting the devil out of people. But they came back saying, Jesus, this even works further than what you told us about. They healed every sickness, every manner of sickness and disease among the people, and they cast out devils. And that's where Jesus said, Behold, I fe- beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. He's not talking about when they used the power of the anointing that he gave them. He's talking about when Satan was cast out of heaven when he rebelled against God with the third of the angels. He was cast down into the earth. He was here the whole time that God was recreating the earth, waiting for his chance to try to deceive Adam and Eve. Nevertheless, because man was placed on this earth to have authority and not Satan, Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power or ability of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notice another uh, group of people that the Bible says is anointed. You're right there in James chapter 5. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice he's talking about righteousness in connection with the healing power of God. So he's literally telling the church, he's saying, if you walk in love, you can pray for each other and heal. Get healed and minister healing. It doesn't even take the elders. Here's another means, another method for healing to be the healing anointing to be directed to the people for the benefit of healing every sickness and every disease. Another example is over in Mark chapter 16. You remember that one? Turn with me to Mark 16. He said, beginning in verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them, they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with, notice I'm omitting the word them, it's in italics, the translators added it, They went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with and confirming the word with signs following. So he's saying that believers have a right to lay hands on the sick in connection with the spread of the gospel. Now we know that's the way it works in an evangelist ministry. Acts chapter 7 tells us about Philip the evangelist. He went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ. It says the whole city believed him when they saw the miracles that he did for many that were lame were healed many that were oppressed of the devil were healed doesn't say everybody but it says many were what made the difference between everybody being healed and many being healed i don't know i have to assume that the same boundaries or limits on the anointing that jesus had even though he had the spirit without measure would still be in effect for philip and the rest of us Maybe the ones that didn't receive were the ones that didn't believe. Maybe he couldn't get everybody to believe, but he got many of them to. Well, here's miracles. These are miracles that are identified that took place, healings and deliverance that took place in Philip's ministry. He's the only example we have of a New Testament evangelist. I think a lot of the people that we call evangelists nowadays are exhorters. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I don't mean that as a critical term whatsoever, that's what Barnabas was and Barnabas became one of the most famous of all the disciples, of all the apostles and leaders of the early church. But the reason that I say that is the only example we have of a New Testament evangelist had gifts of healings and working of miracles in his ministry. Well since that's the only example we have, we have to assume that that would be a part of anybody's ministry that's called of God to be an evangelist. If God's no respecter of persons, then he'd have to make the power of God available to another evangelist just like he made it available to that one. Wouldn't you agree? It's interesting to me how that Jesus had to announce that he was an anointed. Because if he had the power of God without measure, and he did, thank God he did. But if he really went around doing healings and performing healings and miracles to prove that he was the son of God, why would it matter who believed? Why would faith make any difference whatsoever? Why didn't Jesus just go into a town saying, I know you don't believe me because you think you know me from when we grew up, but here are some miracles that only the Son of God could do, so there I proved it. But from the things that the Bible records for us, he got much greater results in in, uh, Capernaum than he got in Nazareth. And he even knew that the people in Nazareth had heard about the things that happened in Capernaum. He said, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the old proverb position, heal thyself. The miracles and the wonders that we heard you do in Capernaum do those here among us now. But he couldn't do it because of faith. The lack of faith on the part of the people. Well how are we supposed to use this anointing? Well notice again in James chapter 5. It says if any sick is among us. They're to call for the elders of the church. Not the elders who are supposed to make healing lines available. I don't guess there's anything wrong with that. But that's not what the Bible told us to do. There have been things throughout the the, uh, time, 31 years that I've been pastoring this church, there are two things that come to mind, two different individuals. One guy had back trouble so that a couple of times a year, his back would go out and he would come on a Sunday morning, that's really all the church they went to, but he would come on a Sunday morning and after the church service would always come up to me When this was happening, like I said, it was only a couple, maybe three times a year. But those two or three times a year, he'd come to me after the service and say, Pastor, I want you to lay hands on my back. I'm having trouble with it again. Well, I laid hands on his back, and he got healed every time, most of the time instantly. There were a couple that lingered for a few days before the pain went away. But he would always tell me about it. He would always say, now I remember a couple of months ago or six months ago, whatever it was, you laid hands on my back before. You remember that? Yeah, I remember. Well, I want you to do it again because my back hurts. And every time that guy got results, another thing I'm thinking about, another family I'm thinking about is still with us. And the parents would bring their kids whenever there was a problem and their kids are elite athletes. And every time there was an injury or some kind of sickness in their family, they would come up and come as a family and say, Pastor Mike, we want you to lay hands on us. We know what the Bible says about calling for the elders of the church. They taught their kids that, and they never failed to receive. They got results every time. Because, see, their coming was a sign of their faith. You remember when Jesus encountered the four guys that brought their friend on a a cot Couldn't find a way to get into the house so they tore up the roof and let him down in the middle of everybody. It says when Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. See the way that they brought him in, the importance that they attached to getting their friend in front of Jesus was an example of faith. And that triggered the healing power of God and he was healed of whatever was keeping him on that cot. He walked out carrying the cot rather than the way that he came in. I'm not sure exactly why some people seem to take a different attitude about the healing power of God. Maybe it's our fault because we haven't taught in the right way or the correct way. But there are several things that we can identify without question. One is that every church is anointed to heal the sick. Every church is anointed to heal the sick. It's part of what Jesus paid the price for. now that doesn't mean everybody's going to feel the anointing it doesn't mean anything whatsoever about feelings but if the Bible is true thank God it is but if the Bible is true then every church has a right to lay hands on the sick that call for their healing and expect miraculous results that may not always be instant results but they can expect miraculous results It's just the way God set things up. I think, well I know I've done this. I won't put it off on you or anybody else. But I know that I've done this. I've assumed throughout the years that the healing anointing that God wants to minister to his people And, folks, if Jesus is the example of God's will in the earth, look at the multitudes that Jesus ministered healing to. How many people were healed in Jesus' ministry? Thousands? Tens of thousands? I don't know. I know the one time when there was a crowd of 5,000 people and the Bible just called that a multitude. And in contrast, there are other times where the Bible says multitudes plural. So what does that mean? Does that mean two or three times the 5,000 number at the the feeding of the 5,000? I don't have an answer. I don't know. But of the multitudes that were healed in Jesus' ministry, is that not proof of God's willingness to show himself strong in the area of divine healing? well if that's what God wanted for Jesus it's got to be what he wants today because he never changes his will doesn't change, his plan doesn't change his purpose doesn't change so how do we get people healed in like manner I'm not going to say in like measure we may never uh, live up to that but how can we get this thing to work in like manner for the believers I believe that the key is to talk about the anointing of God on churches and on pastors and on pastoral staffs. I think the key is to talk about it enough so that it inspires people's faith to come call for their healing. I have to be honest with you folks, these are things I've struggled over for years. Because I cut my teeth on on the things of God through Brother Hagin. And I was familiar with the, the healing anointing that was on Brother Hagin more than any other person I've ever known. Brother Hagin wasn't a pastor. So just because I know and am acquainted with and familiar with the anointing that was on him. That certainly doesn't mean that I'm going to have the same anointing on me. Now there are some people that have the same anointing that Brother Hagin had. And they got it through the association that they had with him. But they're not pastors. And the things of God work differently for different ministry offices. And the people that fill those ministry offices. Again, I think it's interesting that Jesus had to tell people that he was anointed. If he's going to get it to work, since faith on the part of the receiver is necessary for it to work, then he's got to tell them that he's anointed. And that's exactly what Jesus told Brother Hagen he had to do. So maybe the more we talk about the anointing, the more we can get faith in the hearts of the people and get the results God's looking for. I know this. I know God is not satisfied with the the degree of sickness that has taken hold of the people of God. There's no way he's okay with that. But it seems like for the most part we've waited for somebody with a a special anointing to come to town or hold a meeting or whatever it might be. So that people can travel great distances to partake of the special anointing now there's nothing wrong with that but it does not negate the fact and it is a fact it does not negate the fact that every church should be a healing center every church should fulfill God's plan and purpose in the area of healing in just that manner. Wonder what it felt like to the disciples when Jesus told them they had authority over sickness and disease, every sickness and every disease, and to cast out devils. Wonder what it felt like to them. Did it feel anything to them? Did they walk out of that place on their way to the new towns, the places that they were sent to go, pulsing with energy in their body? well if they had that and the Bible doesn't tell us about it then God certainly isn't holding up his end of the bargain here I wonder what kind of conversations they had when they went from where Jesus was to the, to the nearby towns and cities that they went to preach in I wonder if any of them looked at each other and said did you feel anything when Jesus gave us the authority over sickness and disease I certainly would have wanted to know that wouldn't you Do you feel anything? Do you feel anything now? You think this is going to work? Well, the good news is at least we'll be away from everybody so that if it doesn't work, nobody will know. But since healing and the healing anointing, the healing power of God operated in Jesus by a faith proposition just as it takes faith on the part of the receivers it takes faith on the part of the deliverers the ones that claim the ones that come and claim to have an anointing that means it would take faith on my part just as much as it takes faith on your part Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So maybe we should spend a greater deal of our time reminding each other of the healing power of God that exists in his church. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, the gates of hell identified Satan's territory. So are we doing an injustice to the scripture To say that Jesus said I'll build my church and sickness and disease won't prevail against it. That seems like that should be part of the gates of hell, doesn't it? I like to think of it in that way. Jesus said I will build my church upon the knowledge that he is the Messiah. The Redeemer. And sickness and disease will not prevail against it. I believe every church, in the plan of God, every church should be a sickness-free zone. A place of safety from the work of the devil concerning sickness and disease. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. God doesn't let the wrongdoing on the part of his people steal the blessing of healing for their physical bodies and if god doesn't let him let that bother him in the administration of, of the healing anointing then why should we let's pray father thank you for the truth of your word thank you for the healing anointing that was upon jesus And the example that he showed us, the teaching that he delivered to us. That we might work the works of God. That we might do the same works and greater works even as he said. Father, you know I care for these people. You know I care for and have prayed for the people that name this church as their home church. And, Father, I declare that it is your will, even as you have said, for every one of your children to be well. I thank you, Father, that as we are are doers of the word, you confirm your word with signs following. So we thank you, Father, for the anointing that's upon us the anointing that's on this church, and the anointing that's on me and the pastoral staff. Not because we're something special, but because we're in the place that you put us. We place a demand on that anointing, Father. We place a demand on the healing power of God that's greater than any and every sickness and any and every disease. We refuse to allow sickness and disease To hinder the people of this church. To hinder the church itself. In Jesus name. Thank you Father. For confirming your word. In Jesus precious name. Amen. Amen. Well thank you for being with us folks. We love you. We're praying for you. Have a great week.